0: This is our third and final evening with the Eight Awakenings. So as usual, I'll stop for comments and sharing and questions. So I just wanted to say that, you know, at the end of his life, Dogen kind of bemoaned what he considered to be the neglect, he called it, of those around him to practice these awakenings. He felt that all of Buddha's disciples should study this teaching, and he called it the treasury of the true Dharma eye, or the, the heart of liberation from suffering. And he talked about the confusion in the world in which he lived and stressed the, the great opportunity you know, to practice in this way. And he spoke about the many who didn't have the chance to see or hear about this teaching because they had few wholesome conditions, you know, in which to live and to practice. So, as we all feel, we're so fortunate to be able to practice together in this way. And I was thinking our world is not so different in its abundant confusion and we're not so different from the ancestors. Dogan's message, um, no, it's really alive in us and his encouragement to. Well, to expound the teachings, just as Buddha did. So moving on, there was a question I wanted to address from last week about the why was the phrase maintaining right thought used synonymously with not neglecting mindfulness, you know, the fifth awakening? And I came across this short passage that I'd like to read to you from my Roshi's comments, which I hope will kind of help us with that, so it's short. He says the word translated thought consists of two parts. The top part means right now at this very moment, and the bottom part is mind, the mind of this very moment. Don't forget the mind of this very moment. Protect the mind of this very moment. Maintain the mind of this very moment. For example, coming to the Zendo to sit, what kind of mind, what kind of thought do you have? Protect it, maintain it, and don't forget it. This is maintaining right thought. And then he says, I think Suzuki Roshi took the inspiration for the title of his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, from a passage of the Avatamsaka Sutra, quote. The very beginning mind itself is the most accomplished mind of true enlightenment or the very moment of raising beginner's mind is the accomplishment of true awakening itself. And then he says, we also have a common saying in Japanese, do not forget the beginner's mind. When we really understand that, beginner's mind is beginningless mind. Then we just maintain and protect it. Again, when we become aware that beginning is beginningless, in other words, the beginning is also the end, and the end is the beginning then without artificially trying to do anything, our life goes smoothly. That is not forgetting right thought or maintaining right thought. I also came across something that uh, Sojin Roshi, sorry, Suzuki Roshi said on the topic of mindfulness that kind of struck me. He said that. We think with the whole mind, in other words, not to have one sided thinking, not making an effort to think in any particular way. Um, In Zazen, when we're just seeing and we're ready to to see things with the whole mind, then that's where there's space. And so he says being prepared for thinking, then there's no need for any particular way of thinking. And he says, this is mindfulness, maintaining right or complete or whole way of thinking. So I'm going to read you the eight awakenings. One, having few desires, knowing how much is enough, enjoying tranquility and serenity exerting diligent effort five not neglecting mindfulness maintaining right thinking practicing samadhi or practicing the balanced state in zazen seven cultivating wisdom and eight not indulging in idle chatter So I decided to approach uh, awakening six and seven together because so much of the literature, so much of what I studied, put them together. So um, I'll read you those two awakenings and then we'll after my comments, we'll stop at that point for what you want to add. So the sixth awakening is to practice Samadhi. To abide in Dharma without being confused is called stability in zazen. If you gather your mind, it will abide in stability. Then you'll understand the birth and death of all things in the world. You'll continue to endeavor in practicing various aspects of zazen. When you have stability, your mind won't be scattered. It's like a well-roofed house or a well-built embankment which will help you maintain the water of understanding and keep you from being drowned. This is called stability in Samadhi. And the seventh awakening is to cultivate wisdom, to listen, contemplate, practice and have realization. If you have wisdom, you're free from greed. You'll always reflect on yourself and avoid mistakes. Thus, you'll attain liberation in the Dharma I'm speaking of. If you don't have wisdom, you'll be neither a follower of the way nor a lay supporter of it. And there'll be no name to describe you. (laughs) Indeed, wisdom is a reliable vessel to bring you across the ocean of old age, sickness and death. It's a bright lamp that brings light into the darkness of ignorance. It's an excellent medicine for all of you who are sick. It's a sharp ax to cut down the tree of delusion. Thus, you can deepen awakening through the wisdom of listening, contemplation, and practice. If you're illuminated by wisdom, even if you use your physical eyes, you'll have clear insight. This is called to cultivate wisdom. Susan, so where what where did you read that from? I'm reading from Tanahashi because it's the shortest yeah. one. There're lots of translations but I didn't want to spend too much time reading. Thanks. So samadhi or stability in zazen I don't know I think it's nourished by serenity and tranquility which create kind of like a home you could say for the mind to be settled and composed. The the literature describes like a, a gathering together, a harmonizing, a unifying. The mind is said to have collectedness, composure. When the body's tranquil, then it supports the mind becoming more still. Some describe um, brightness being present, mind isn't distractible, won't wander. There's stillness inside space. That word space comes up a lot. Porous, open, no boundaries. It could be a feeling of the body disappearing or the, the legs or the feet. Stability in zazen, dropping of body And mind. So it said that when we stop thinking about something, you know, stop following the, the thinking thoughts, Samadhi is the natural state that's present. And it's not really seen as a state of mind, but simply what's there. An expansive state or an expansive space. One phrase that's used is, um one-pointedness. So meaning kind of like not wandering around or not being distracted, but not reducing it to one single point. More like um, a mind gathering around what's there, a meeting place kind of. So it doesn't mean that we can't also hear other sounds, but that those sounds don't make the mind lose its focus. So the mind is not so pointy that it can't think or hear sounds. And that kind of concentration includes uh, like awareness of space or a whole field of experience or something like a a river flow of um, breath and thoughts and images. So an example that came to my mind was one time when we were in the Sierra, um, we saw a bird, a kingfisher, and it was flying very fast down a very narrow stream. Um, Lots of rushing water, and it was as it We were close to the edge of the stream, and as it swooped by close to the moving water, um, you know, it was very close to the water, but didn't touch the water, didn't hit the water, that kind of concentration on where it was, um, where it was going, how close it was to the water, but it had this obvious awareness of space way beyond kind of all around in every direction. It never looked from side to side, but you just knew you could just see, you could just feel um, all that awareness of the space beyond. Um, And our present didn't appear to change that concentration that the Kingfisher had. Um, Katagiri Roshi says that when the mind's unified, there's no gap between breath and us. And I think Sojin talked about that, too. There's just breathing. So Katagiri calls that the the rhythm of life and he calls that samadhi. And he says that's right acceptance. It's like accepting life as a whole. so that we just keep going we accept something but we're not using a dualistic viewpoint so whatever happens we just keep going forward just keep going in our life let go of our opinions and keep going and he says that when we practice zazen as samadhi then zazen is not just us It's the rhythm of the whole universe. And when I came across that, it really made me think of Sojin Roshi always characterized that as the whole world is doing zazen. So that kind of feeling or connection. I came across a talk that Sojin Roshi gave 40 years ago on um, samadhi and wisdom. And so I'd like to share a little bit of that with you. He said that samadhi is at the heart of wisdom and that wisdom is the foundation of samadhi. So in other words, they go hand in hand like partners. And he described that, well, he called it kind of the essence or the heart of samadhi as deep calmness. And he said, it's imperturbable mind, you know, the mind that's not moved by circumstances. So it's settled. It's rooted in that fundamental mind that doesn't come or go. And he says we don't acquire wisdom. It's built in. It's already there. And so he pointed out And I think he told us this often, that that's where the precepts come from. They come from that place. And if we think that the precepts are rules from the outside, you know, that we're supposed to orient ourselves to, then our understanding isn't quite right. The precepts, he says, come from this essence or this heart of mind, and they just spontaneously uh, arise out of wisdom.
1: So if we tap that essence of mind,
0: that stability in zazen, the precepts just arise naturally, and that wisdom that comes out of us informs our responses. So as opposed to you know, some kind of analysis, the analytical mind or, you know, a kind of attempt at implementing formulaic ideas or responses. So he uses the same example that I just read you, the example of the lamp and its light, Um, the lamp being samadhi concentration, and the light being wisdom, and wisdom being the function of the lamp. So he says, through samadhi, wisdom arises. And then that's what guides us. So we should just allow that wisdom to come up, not to be thinking we're going to find wisdom or get wisdom. But just to be present to when it arises kind of before thought i guess
1: just let it spring
0: up so there's no thinking that um that leads us of course we think but our thinking mind isn't attached to things so the mind is free to come and go and can rest in samadhi and wisdom. So this is the mind that's not attached to anything, it's just there. The wisdom bubbles up like, maybe like a geyser, always there. And Suzuki Roshi calls that the mind of no attainment or the enlightened mind, or he said his favorite is to say it's beginner's mind. It's open. It's ready for anything. And it's a mind that rests in reality, not what we think is reality, but what reality is. And Sojin Roshi calls says that mind is always at the beginning. I thought that was interesting. This is the mind that's always at the beginning. It's always at rest. So then there are disturbances. I mean, those are natural. Everyone experiences disturbances and he says it's like when you throw a rock into clear water still water it creates ripples but the disturbances on the surface it doesn't run deep to the bottom and so he says that's like the concentrated mind that's like the samadhi mind even with disturbances there's a lot of space there in that open mind. So with practice, lots of practice, (laughs) those surface disturbances don't shake the whole mind, you know, the entire mind. This really reminds me of the question that came up last week about practicing with noise in our BCC neighborhood and the power tools, especially during Sashid's, right? Practicing with disturbances. So Sojin Roshi says this is what we do in Zazen. We establish ourselves in this kind of mind, beginner's mind repeatedly. And whether we're on the cushion or we're out in our life, we catch ourselves. So it's good to catch ourselves, right? And when we catch ourselves, that there's mindfulness. That's a moment of mindfulness when we catch ourselves. We see what we've said or we see what we've done or we see what we've thought and we catch that and then we put it aside and we take care of the situation. With all that space in the settled mind, in the concentrated mind, wisdom arises, we see the situation through not neglecting mindfulness. We see what's happening and we see how to take care of it, but not with an analyzing mind. So he says when a disturbance happens, when a disturbance arises, we should be asking ourselves, what can I do to resume balance? What can I do to return to that imperturbable mind? And he calls that mind like grass. He says, you know, it's always able to move no matter what the air is doing around it, no matter what's happening. So this all reminded me of the first night of class when someone described feeling that there might be something better or a better way than what they were doing at a given moment. And then the person said they were aware that that was a distraction from what they were actually doing. And I think the person even said that. described this as being basic. I don't know if it's basic or not. To me, that doesn't seem to be the important point. What strikes me as important is the person catching themselves, you know, in the situation. And then right there, that's a moment of mindfulness. So right there, the bigger mind can put aside what's What's going on and take care of the situation, return. And as the mind becomes more settled over a long time, you know, practice, as that stable condition, stable concentration, samadhi expands through practice, then and becomes more spacious, then the wisdom of what to do arises. So what can I do to resume balance? How can I return? Seems like that's the question we can hold closely. We also last week had a kind of lively discussion about irritations and standing in long lines what to do. So you know when irritation arises it's an activity of the mind it's a disturbance of mind and body so to me the point isn't to think that we can stop irritation from happening but to ask ourselves so where is practice when irritation arises where's practice right now so just the question might allow the mind to quiet down. Or to create some space. And this is samadhi practice. When irritation quiets down, then there's more space for responding to it. We don't always catch ourselves, and we don't always catch ourselves right away. And someone pointed out sometimes we don't even want to let go of the irritation. You know, we may feel uh, justified. But when we do turn away from, you know, that small self-concern or justification, when we do that, when that happens, whenever we catch ourselves, then we can ask, you know, what can I do to resume balance? How can I return? And again, I can just asking that question opens up space and then that space there's there's a a readiness for a response so just a few days ago the other day i opened a jar of mayonnaise i had bought like a week before I broke the seal and I unscrewed it only to find that it had gone bad. So I brought it back to the store and I went to the customer service counter. I explained what happened and I just wanted to exchange it for another jar. The worker asked for the receipt and I said, well, that was a week ago. I don't have the receipt anymore. But I said it clearly went bad before I opened it. She said, well, I can't exchange it because you don't have the receipt. And I said, you know, what do you mean? And she said, well, that's the store policy. I'm sorry, you don't have a receipt, so I can't exchange it. So we kind of went back and forth on it. It never got like heated or nasty or, you know, we were. Polite, but we were clearly both stuck on our own opinion, me kind of thinking that the customer should be taken care of and her kind of thinking that, you know, the policy comes before anything else. Um, so just as I was about to just kind of give up and, you know, leave. um. The manager showed up. It was close by, apparently just listening. And the manager stepped up to the counter, and she said, um, "Let's let her exchange the jar this time." And so I thanked her, you know, and I picked up the jar that I had gone to get. But just as I had turned away and I was leaving. I heard the first woman say to the manager, "Um, why do you always override me in front of the customer? That really bothers me. And I just kind of felt my heart sink. It was kind of just a very brief moment of connected, you know, I just connected to her in that moment. And reflecting back, I felt like I missed an opportunity to respond right then. But by the time I got home, which was only about 10 minutes later, I had decided that I had made a mistake. Um, that I really hadn't taken the whole picture into account, that i had been overly focused on what I wanted to happen.
1: Um, you know, and it became a
0: disturbance. So I sat down and I wrote this little apology card. And the next morning I went and bought a box of chocolates and I took them to the store. And there she was at the service counter. And I said, I'm the person that wanted to exchange the jar of mayonnaise and I'm here to apologize to you. I I think I was wrong. You know, I didn't really take into account. Uh, the position I put you in with your manager. And this is just a small gift to, uh, to say I'm sorry, and I hope you'll accept it. And she smiled, and she thanked me, and we exchanged names, and then I turned and left. Um, you know, it was what I came up with, not in the moment, but it was what I came up with to kind of return to some kind of internal balance. And my feeling is that we are always returning to practice. You know, I make a lot of mistakes and I'm grateful to this practice that shows us how to return to some kind of upright position. I don't think how long it takes really isn't the point. So, Sojin Roshi says when the mind is freely working, wisdom is arising and there's flexibility. So, we're being free then instead of holding ourselves down. And that w- if wisdom is arising continually, then that's enlightened practice. Non attachment is what gets in our way, it's what lets the mind. Ex- Sorry, non-attachment is what lets the mind exist. Attachment is what gets in the way. Non-attachment lets us exist in in a balanced state. But he says to practice that way, to balance the whole, we have to be willing to give up and accept freely, to accept completely. So he says, practicing the awakenings continuously is important so that when something comes up, we'll know how to handle it. And then here's what Suzuki Roshi says about wisdom. And I'm just going to quote him, his words. He says, by wisdom, we don't mean some particular faculty or philosophy. It's the readiness of the mind that's wisdom. Wisdom could be various philosophies and teachings and various kinds of research and studies. It could be that, but we should not be attached to some particular wisdom, even what was taught by the Buddha. Wisdom is not something to learn. Wisdom is something that will come out of your mindfulness. So the point is to be ready for observing things and to be ready for thinking. This is called emptiness of your mind. Emptiness is nothing but the practice of zazen. So when I think about that word readiness, it really reminds me of the word cultivate in the title, cultivate wisdom. You know, in farming and in gardening, cultivation of the soil is like it's essential to preparing the ground, taking care of the ground. It's a kind of readiness for um, what feeds growth. And cultivation provides air to the soil, and it lets the nutrients feed the plants, and it lets the water penetrate the soil. So it seems like he's pointing to a very, very spacious place, this place of readiness. So it makes me wonder, you know, how are our creative responses connected to readiness? And what I've been wondering about a lot lately is, what is there before thinking? What is that space before thinking? How to tap that, and what's the relationship between readiness and our responses? So that's a good place to stop. And um, whatever questions or comments or stories or um,
1: anything you'd
0: like to say, we'll stop for for you. If you raise, I guess everybody's here on the same screen, right? You can either wave or raise your digital hand, and Ross. We'll call on you.
2: Uh, Sue Dunlop.
3: So Susan,
4: what what did you conclude when you focused on um, the moment before thought?
1: What did you learn doing that?
0: Well, I'm sure everybody's had this experience, but sometimes I notice mostly this happens to me out on the street if 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 i'm observing. And something happens on the street that's not quite appropriate. I I notice this afterwards that there's a response and it makes me think where does the response come from it's not. There's sometimes when we stop and we think, what should I do? I think that's what happened to me in the store. After I turned away, I thought, what should I do? But if, if I had been, if I had responded before thinking, I might have done something right in that moment. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm sure other people have examples of that.
1: So you're saying this almost like No time between.
0: I'm saying I think what, yeah, I'm saying and other people, please chime in. But I'm saying I think what we're working on in Zen practice is to respond from a place that's not up here. And that that takes it takes this culmination of all of these awakenings to be able to be in a spot to do that, doesn't it? Where we're settled. It's not that thinking isn't doesn't inform us, of course it does. But there's also a response that comes from not thinking. We see it certainly in times of, you know, chaos or disasters people just respond right i don't know what do some of the rest of you think
5: i just got a quick question is that that that's still very you can you can think in a in a moment right it 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 might not be drawn out thinking but it's still thinking it's just more of an intuitive
0: that's a good way of saying it yeah uh, Kabir. Oh, hi, Kabir. It's so good to see you.
6: Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I've been listening to uh, Opening the Hand of Thought and what's been helping uh, me when I'm about to fly off the handle or when I get really too much caught up in the head is that I come back to the ZZ Prime and come back to Zazen at any time and Um, just I find my breath. I just find my breath and I just try to come to the body. And it just kind of like everything just resets in a way. I still have the thinking mind going and everything else, but it it allows me to be more proactive and kind of step back. Uh, And that's been very helpful. Just to, just to come back to the ZZ prime, just to come to the flat line of Zazen at any time, even if I'm walking and I'm driving, sitting, whatever it may be. Just to simply become, and I don't even have to take deep breaths. I don't have to control my breath. I have to just be just finding the breath. And then from there, just flushing bones back to, I call it kind of like flat
1: line or baseline.
0: So. Thank you so much. That certainly sounds like Sojin, doesn't it? Isn't that what he was always telling us?
6: Yeah. Yeah. Come back to your breath. And our breath is, in my opinion, it's our number one companion. It's, it is our dearest friend. It is our life force. It's always been with us. From the minute that we take the first breath until we take our last breath before we leave this form realm. It has been with us. We can go without food and water for days, but we cannot go without breath for more than two, three minutes. At least I can, or not even 30 seconds. But we take it for granted. We don't even notice it, at least for me, but it's always been here with us, right under our noses. Thank you,
1: Kabir.
6: My pleasure, thank you for this great class. Thank
2: you. boss. <clears throat> yeah, you said that uh, you, lost, you missed an opportunity during that exchange before the manager came. And w- what were you thinking? What was the, what was the, uh, uh, the uh, opportunity that you maybe had coalesced in your mind that you were gonna do?
0: Oh, I'm just saying in reflection,
2: you know. Oh, in reflection. Oh. Yeah, in reflection. I misunderstood. I thought you had a sense that I should just let go and just be done with it, but then it carried on a little longer. Okay. Well,
0: I'm, I'm just, you know, it's just like looking back and thinking, you know, we do that, right? What could I have done differently, right? Yeah. I mean, I obviously was caught, you know, but um, it was just when I turned away and heard that comment that yeah. I, I felt it. And I think at that moment I could have turned back, but, but it's okay. You know, I caught myself and did something later.
2: Yeah. Um, when I was a sales circuit at Pete's, I, there's a policy and occasionally I would, um, say the hell with the policy and just give a new cup of coffee or a new bag of coffee or whatever. Cause there was enough money. It wasn't about the policy. It was about the relationship. Sometimes the customer would come in, they would kind of push the envelope, and then I would just use the policy as a way to just kind of have them come back to, it's not just about you and customer service being, you know, customer's always right. So, but there's a flexibility that one has to have on both sides, whether one is the so-called in power or one is receiving the services of others to figure out when's the appropriate, what's the appropriate response this time. Uh, Ryushin.
0: Thank you Ross.
2: Yeah.
3: Thanks Susan, thanks for so uh, often bringing up examples out of your own life which are so useful. I'm just thinking of a, another way that I feel like Sojin talked about this that I relate to, is the difference between small mind and big mind. Where big mind is the not self-centered mind, if you will, and I I find I get into uh, rigid thinking myself or kind of set when I want something for myself. And when I respond from a deeper level where I'm not really thinking so much about where I am in the mix of things, but I'm just in the situation, that is where a certain kind of intuitive responding that I might, maybe that's part of what's meant by wisdom. No wonder about your thoughts about that.
0: No, I think that's nicely said. I mean, I kind of carry this image of putting the, the small self inside the bigger self. You know, the bigger self is like the container, right? The small self has to be with inside the bigger self
3: because everything's in big mind.
1: I yeah. Know. Somehow
0: that image is useful. Anybody else before we go to the final awakening? Carol, did you have your hand
1: up?
4: And then, Mir? Uh, well, I am curious. How, how how would you have responded? Oh, gosh. I mean, oh, I know I've, I've got these two scenarios going on in oh. my mind. So now I'm thinking, well, what would Susan have done? What would have been the response? I mean,
0: well, I don't know. Maybe it was fine the way it worked out. I mean, she was kind of annoyed, so maybe that wasn't a good time to say Mm. something, right? And I really got it that she was annoyed, right? Yeah, good point. I don't know. I'm just saying that. You know, we do that in retrospect, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Carol. I see Greg hurts his hand as well.
7: and then Miro,
0: okay. Hi, Greg.
7: Hi, thanks, Susan. That was such a uh, inspiring talk, and uh, I really also appreciated your personal exploration. Um, I uh, have been, you know, working a lot with trying to practice returning to this, yeah, samadhi and trusting in my own intuitive spontaneity as a response. And I think it also can be. Important, I think about also investigating what we're, what I'm afraid of in not being in that state. Like we talk about practicing being in that state, but also when I'm not in that state, when I have a pull to small mind or worry or thinking, what energy is that about and where is that coming from? And, um, I think it's also interesting to consider sort of honoring that energy like oh like that self that part is really scared and really feels like it's protecting it the system and um I'm just kind of sharing an inquiry a question that I have which is kind of how do we I mean mostly just practicing with being in big mind but how do we also relate to small mind in a way that is useful and and honoring, but also takes care of it and allows it to relax without just, um, you know, blaming it or ostracizing it.
0: Yeah, well, I think you just said said it. Take good care of it. Befriend it, right? Don't push it away. Don't be mad at it. Don't berate it. Bring it along, right? And also remind ourselves, like Sojin was always saying, "What do we have to lose?" Right? That's a really good question to just carry around in our pocket. What do we have to lose? Right? It sounds like you're doing all the right, all the right carings. Thank you.
1: So Mira. Mira, yeah. Unmute, please.
8: Thank you. Um, I wanted to say that I thought um, the point you made about the precepts coming out of wisdom, I thought that was very interesting. I mean, I think I always think about something like like the Ten Commandments, the precepts. So I think about them being handed down, you know, from something outside of us. Not uh, not from inside, not coming from inside, but coming from outside and being put on us. So I really like this um, this way you said it that this would come out of our own wisdom.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what's revolutionary about our practice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're done with the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> But but the precepts are similar to
8: the Ten Commandments.
0: Yeah, but the focus and the attitude and the spirit is so different, isn't it?
8: Well, you're saying they're coming from a different place, so I like thinking of it that way, too. Thank you.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and read the the final awakening and then... I think it will probably create some lively discussion. (laughs) So, um, you know, it has several translations of the title, so not indulging in idle chatter or not being engaged in hollow discussions or not playing around with theories and opinions or refraining from frivolous discussions or argument. So you can take your pick. And from Tanahashi, the Eighth Awakening is not to be engaged in hollow discussions. It is to experience realization and be free from discriminatory thinking with thorough understanding of the true mark of all things. It is called not to be engaged in hollow discussions. If you get into those discussions, your mind will be scattered. Then you will be unable to attain liberation, even if you have left the household. So you should immediately leave behind scattered mind and hollow discussions. If you wish to attain the joy of serenity, You need to cure the sickness of hollow discussions. This is called not to be engaged in hollow discussions. So I was thinking that um, Sojin Roshi told us that Suzuki Roshi liked to stop at this diner along the Big Sur coast on the way to Tassahara because he liked to chit chat, you know, kind of chew the fat with the locals and i just loved that story because i was kind of raised on that same idea that wherever you are you stop in at the local diner to see who the locals are and to chat chat with them what they're like Hmm. so i suppose we could call that idle chatter but somehow i think not because there's a kind of sincerity in what Suzuki Roshi wanted. You know, he was curious. He was interested in what was happening right now, right here, this place. You know, where am I and what's going on here? This looks interesting. And who are these local people? So he was, I think, always interested in connecting. So what is idle talk? Well. Maybe it's about gossiping. Maybe it's about gossiping without knowing what's true from other perspectives. Maybe it's about guessing about or not speaking as if we know what we're talking about. Um, so Roshi said it's like a group of intellectuals sitting around a fancy cafe discussing the essence of Zen, you know, pure speculation. And he said that whenever Katagiri used to walk into the Zendo, he would say, practice and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Just sit and close your mouth. So Katagiri Roshi says that speech has to go further than just being kind, you know, that it has to be based on compassion. So what does he mean by that? Well, he says that it has to include giving a person a chance to grow. I kind of like that, Hmm. giving a person a chance to grow. He says that kindness and friendliness are part of compassion, but the compassion's kind of it's rooted more deeply in the mind. So suddenly when I read that I thought, "Oh, that's why this awakening comes at the end." You know, all the other awakenings are supporting the practice of this one because this one may be the most difficult of all. So he's talking about a what is it, a spirit or an attitude of practice? and its relationship to stable mind. So Pat Phelan down at the Chapel Hill Zen Center says that in Zen, we're working on establishing a link between our our mental activity and our conduct. So idle, idle talk can kind of reduce the fullness of who or what's being talked about you know it's easy to mistake what we think is solid for reality and it's become it's easy to become fixed and we're not so easily able to um, release ourselves from a particular opinion or a or a response and she was suggesting that any of the precepts about speech and this awakening are probably the some of the most difficult to keep. And I kind of agree. Or she says it could be just that we don't make as much effort in this area because we like to talk. <laughs> speech can really emerge as stream of consciousness and uncensored especially with trusted friends, right, and she suggests that we often use speech to justify our actions and to get support for our points of view. So I just want to read a couple lines from her, her words. She says, language or words arise with conceptualization or discrimination. This means that any time we're engaged in language, whether thinking, speaking, reading, writing or hearing others talk, our discriminative consciousness is automatically engaged and language can never be separated from discrimination. So I don't know what we think about that, but I thought that was interesting. So she thinks that that's why during Sashin we have the guidelines of no reading and writing and no unnecessary talking. You know, we have a better opportunity not to engage in that kind of discursive thinking. And thinking, reading, writing, speaking, and hearing other people talk brings us right back to discriminating. So during sushin we try our best to maintain silence. She says that talking brings us right back to what we consider to be normal which includes, you know, our distractions and conditioned interactions. Thich Nhat Han describes speech as an energy leak. So he says if we're concentrated during Sazen and then we talk, um, all that concentrated energy leaks through our speech. We don't want to hold on to concentration, but we can also observe what happens with idle chatter, what happens to our energy. And Sojin Roshi describes idle talk as foolish babble. Those are his words. And he says that that brings on confusion. And when we avoid that kind of talk, then our wisdom can emerge. So he says speaking is already an imperfect way of communicating. And. Chit-chat doesn't really mean much. Chattering doesn't mean much. And he points out that sometimes talk comes from a discomfort with silence. So what's the relationship between
1: silence and idle chatter? You know, he says that,
0: A practice in silence is so difficult because we like to talk. We often can't stand the silence. And we think that speech moves us along. But when talk stops, then the world of comparing can stop. Comparative values can
1: stop. I want
0: to read you uh just something short again from my zumi roshi to close and then we'll go to what you have to say I'm reading from uh the hazy moon
1: of enlightenment
0: So he says As long as we talk about things as if they were outside of ourselves, our talk will be idle. In a sense, that's why Buddha mentions this avoiding idle talk last. It's the result or the fruit of our wisdom. Only after we've overcome the fundamental delusion of a gap between ourselves and others can we really avoid idle talk. This reminds me of a famous story about Yen Tu and Sui Feng, in which Sui Feng attains enlightenment on Mount Ao. These two men were close Dharma brothers under Master Shan. One day they got caught in a snowstorm while crossing a mountain pass and had to wait in an old cabin for the snow to stop. Sui Feng spent the time sitting in Zazen, while Yen To, who had already attained great enlightenment, napped and took it easy, and teased his elder brother for his serious practice. Sui Feng could not Sui Feng could only reply that somehow his mind was not yet at ease, that he was not quite confident of his own understanding. Yen Tao then asked Sui Feng to recount the important enlightenment experiences he had had in 20 or so years of practice, offering to check them for him and to approve or disapprove them. After listening to Sui Feng tell of his three breakthroughs, Yen Tao finally commented, whatever comes in through the six senses is not a real treasure. It should come up from inside yourself and cover heaven and earth. Hearing this, Sui Feng at last attained great enlightenment and dancing around the hut cried out repeatedly, today Sui Feng has attained enlightenment on Mount Ao. Everything that comes from outside of us, from someone or someplace else, through reading, through hearing, or through seeing will be a kind of idle talk unless we really understand the very nature of our own being of our life. Understanding our life, we will then understand everything else as Buddha nature itself. Okay, so now let's. Uh, we have a bit of time here. Let's um, see what everybody else has to say and raise your hand and Ross will
1: call on you. Ross, we can't hear
5: you. Sorry. Thank you. Paolo. Thank you, Susan. I really um I've been enjoying all of it. That the the last one really is is something else. Um there were a couple of things or two different trains of thought, and I'm not sure. I think maybe I'll go with um with the, the, the last one. But isn't isn't like yesterday's profound insight tomorrow's chatter, right? Like in, in Terabata, they talk about how we how we take the Dharma in. And and the first thing you have to do is is be exposed to it and to read it and to to hear it. Um, And then to contemplate it and and return to it and study it. But that both those things are are inadequate ultimately because ultimately it's something that has to be experienced through firsthand knowledge. And that most often for most of us is, is only through meditation somehow so i mean there are moments of insight and right i mean like he 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 had his internal experience because of something his dharma brother had to say so there's a little irony in there right
1: Uh
5: like it's not and and like the, the the zen teachers are like that right they're they're highly accomplished literary men and then they they end up ripping up the sutras but they they've almost earned the right to do that they they if they had just gone to ripping up the sutras without reading and and digesting them they couldn't have gotten to the point where they realized oh this is you know nothing more than various opinions because they were really going over the finer points and this internal experience
0: Yes, thank you. I don't have anything to say. I'm just enjoying everything you've said. Thank you. Anybody else your experience with idle chatter?
2: Uh, Mirror has her literal hand up. (laughs) You can unmute and uh, (laughs) Okay Um, I
8: still, I was just like really surprised that this was the eighth one. I really thought it should be maybe the third one. Okay. But before samadhi, before wisdom, that before mindfulness. It like, Can you say why? Yeah. Well, there's the Eightfold Path, right? And the Eightfold Path, I think, right, speeches much earlier in the path and samadhi that's at the end and mindfulness, those are at the end. So I was just, I think you have to keep your mouth shut before you're gonna have samadhi and get wisdom. I, I think this thing of not idle chatter is so important and I'm, um, yeah, it's getting harder and harder for me to be around people. <laughs> uh, because there's well, somebody... that's
0: a different issue Miriam
8: <laughs> that's, that's another, another issue That's a... no it's because there's idle chatter everywhere um, I work in the ceramic studio and people are like you said very uncomfortable with silence uh, they have to fill the silence and um, yes so I totally support this. And I love the phrase that you said, an energy leak, because I totally feel that way during our sessions. Even during our sessions, I've seen so many people that any opportunity to talk, they take, you know, they, they don't have to talk, but they, they are uncomfortable and it, it's really an energy leak. So.
0: Well, I, 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 I kind of see it as like a we're I, all on a continuum and, um <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of practice. You've been practicing for 50 years. It takes a long time to. I'm not that old. All right. 40. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to be patient with. The idle chatter that's around us, and you have to be the model of
1: quiet. Earplugs. Julianne.
9: Um. Thank you, Susan, for your class. Um. I <clears throat> I found it interesting how you commented that this awakening might be the most difficult to do, <clears throat> and that's why. Um, it kind of clarified for me why it is the last one, because this one kind of, um, it takes your internal work um, externally. You know, like I I feel like the first seven of them are how we work on ourselves and the things that we can do to to transform ourselves. Um, And the final one is really just kind of, it's almost like a gateway of um, taking that work outside and and taking it to work with others and i also kind of find it's it's a really interesting one because um just because it deals with um how we how we um how we behave ourselves in discussions with others it um it kind of brings to mind um i don't know maybe this is like a little bit off topic but how um I've been doing a lot of phone banking lately, and um, I feel like discussions with others and how I relate to others in in discussions where people may not agree with me or they may come from a very different life experience, um, it really tests my first seven awakenings, (laughs) so so it really, I really, it really resonated with me when you said that this is the most difficult one.
0: So. Well, thank you. You just said that all so beautifully. And I wonder if, you know, that helps a bit, Miriam, in explaining kind of where it's put. Yeah. Thank you, Julianne.
10: Jim, Thank you. I couldn't find the uh, raise my hand button (laughs) and thank you for this discussion. Um, I've been thinking about the word to engage in idle chatter and um, I have a lot of things to say I think but for me it's also about uh, what chatter we take in so we can restrain ourselves and not engage in you know, frivolous discussions, talk about other people, political arguments—all the kind of things that um, I think sometimes are very attractive to us as forms of entertainment. But one one area in my life I'm struggling with or, or working on is um, not to ingest a lot of chatter. We're surrounded by chatter everywhere. I mean, editorials, punditry, uh, comedians. It seems like our whole world in the past twenty years has become this. Everybody has a has a platform, and everybody's engaging in some sort of commentary on everyone else, and it can be very exhausting um, And so I understand uh, this eighth practice as um, kind of a re- uh, a reiteration of the first in a way, you know reducing our needs of what we ingest, what we take in what we what we put into our life into a very small set of things. Um and so you know I'm I'm struggling to weed out social media from my life, you know, bring it down to just the most basic ways of communicating with my friends and family. and um, it's not easy, but uh, I agree that it it kind of takes us back to the beginning of the these eight practices as well.
0: Well, that's a really good point to think of how it's connected to desires and It's also something that um, Dogen talked about is that, you know, they're interwoven, right? You can jump into one and several will pop up or you can go forward or backward or into the middle. And so thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Tim.
1: Thank you. Hi, Tim. Um...
11: Hi. Um, I totally agree with what Jim said. And I had that on my mind when I read this. And I I believe one of the sheets that you gave us, the word noise came up with this. And I thought so much of what happens in these discussions are noise. And that made me think of the internet. And even though we might not be having um, discussions back and forth, it gets in our mind. And there's like this chatter within our mind. And then we just kind of go off with it. So um, that was the kind of like my key word from this was noise and what's becoming a noise in our life, whether it's talking to a person, or it's social media, things like that. So.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, idle chatter isn't just verbal, it's in the head too. Yeah, good point. Thank you.
6: Um, I have a um, What about body language?
0: Can
6: you say more? a lot of times you know we communicate with our bodies more than our mouths and how we move and how we can be you know actually be talking with our bodies how you know, especially with you know somebody that we don't agree with or somebody or somebody that we feel kind of close to attached to, and I think that's also something that you know it can be included in this.
0: I see what you mean like it kind of jumps out from right attaches itself as another form. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anybody who hasn't spoken want to say something. And we can also, if you have something that was left over, I think because I put this into three classes instead of four, I didn't really allow time for anything that might have come up from the last time. But if you have something you want to say about another awakening, that's also okay.
11: Uh, Tim again. Um, Sure. So um, last week we started our, you know, Zen and the art of Safeway. And and, um, just coincidentally, the next day I had to go to Safeway. And um, sure enough, I had, you know, a very strange line as I often do at Safeway. And so the timing of it was interesting. And I started thinking of the awakenings and um, the first thing was to get my attention away from the person in front of me who wanted to pay with one thing in cash. And then the other two things with two different credit cards. And so it's like, where do I put my attention uh, away from this? Looked as far away as I could also just kind of had fun with it. The absurdity of this is the mundane parts of life. And then um, the one that stuck out was the, the second awakenings that we went over in the first class knowing when enough is enough and the word that kind of came with that with me was satisfaction and I thought you know what I'm satisfied to be here I don't really want to be in this line but yet I'm satisfied and so it was just kind of interesting that you know less than 24 hours later I was in line at Safeway dealing with the same stuff so.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's just wonderful. To me, that's like some little combination of Trungpa and Dogen right there in your experience. Thank you. Anybody else? I mean, to me, that's the beauty of these as we study them more and more. Like Dogen said, everybody should memorize them and walk around with them in you in you so that exactly what happened, that tim described can start happening in us so um this is a great story anybody have another story to share
2: uh carol paul
4: well i wasn't this isn't actually a story but this whole the last uh awakening it's there's a whole other side about how do you um how are you with someone who is doing a lot of idle chat, chatter? How do you find kindness and compassion and, without just being rude or walking away or saying something that would be unkind? You know, it, that
0: is a challenge for me. Um, so it, how, so- do you, how do you work with that? It's a great question. What do you do? Um
4: usually I say, well, I just have a couple minutes. And you know, my, my you no know, darlene told my my teacher told me that. She said, you have to find a way, you know, when you start to talk to say, well, this I have this much amount of time. It's not really lying. You know, it's just saying this is this is the time I have for this. It's, 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 it's a real challenge because you don't want to be mean. And sometimes a person, I don't know, they just seem to have to outflow. A lot of outflowing out there going on. And um, oh, I just, maybe someone has suggestions. Maybe they have better. Uh, well, you said
0: that Darlene said that's sort of skillful to do that. So you're not. Yeah, it's okay to say. Rhymes.
4: Right. Here's how much time I have. So the person isn't feeling neglected or, uh, you know, shunned, but you're giving them something, but you know, it's that, it's again, it's that energy drain. You're leaking energy when you're taking that in, you know, it's, that's just all another part of leaking energy. Cause you don't, there's nowhere to go with it. It's not like a question or, you know, a discussion. It's more the, Person just needing to talk, I guess.
2: Ellen. I see Ellen's hand. Um, just before that, I just want to say, Soji to say, you can have some of my time, but not all of my time.
1: <laughs>
2: and that's a way of like honoring, yes, but not all of it and parsing it out. It's, it seems equitable because you're acknowledging both sides. Ellen. That's
0: good. Thank, Thank you. you.
3: Yeah. In terms of what Carol was saying, I'm feeling a bit lately like, you know, there are people and, and, you know, I often do Carol what you do and just say, you know, I don't have more time than this. But I also feel that there are people in my life who really need to just talk, you know, they just, it's a need that they have for some reason, could be that they live alone or that they something's happened for them and in a way I feel like Sometimes I'm, I'm sort of an impatient person, but it's sort of a service that I'm practicing of just listening um, to people who I feel have that need. So that's sort of a new thing for me because I'm generally sort of impatient. But um, I've been practicing that a little bit So to share that.
0: Thank you so much. That's really um, I think you said it. That's a gift, really. Uh,
2: Sue Osher.
10: Uh,
12: thanks, Ellen. That really got me uh, gave me something to say. <laughs> not of idle chatter, maybe. Um, sometimes I, I found it if you give if I was given a time limit, which I was of five minutes, to just do that, get it out. idle chatter, whatever you want to call it. And then that dyad process where you trade off and someone listens to you and you listen to them for, I can do five minutes, right? I'm not good at paying attention for longer than that. And we could go back and forth, but, you know, that's a real good practice, I think. Can we do this for five minutes, whatever you want to say? And, um... That can lead, I think that can lead to some really deep places. And because sometimes I have to just talk to someone to know what I'm actually thinking. (laughs) It's like, oh, I think that there's a problem with that. Then I see a way through it or a way to work with it just because someone's listening to me so i hope i remember that the next time someone talks to me or maybe talks at me thank you
0: thank you ross
2: yeah uh recently i had uh kind of back-to-back uh chats with people and each one was about two and a half hours and uh, i was thinking about idle meaning not going anywhere your engine is idling instead of sitting there so i'd be in that kind of mode and then depending on the time of the conversation it felt like the other side was idle and was just kind of going going nowhere but but talking right so i thought well i want to make the most of this time with this person and so i had to like put it in gear if you will and start asking questions and kind of calling them out on things when they were sort of like losing focus for instance or things that were potentially were dharmic but needed to be kind of flushed out a little bit. So I couldn't just sit back and listen and be patient. I actually had to get off my butt and really get in there with them, which um, I found actually easier to be with for that amount of time. Because when I was thinking about this person likes to chat a lot and it's, it's enjoyable, but really I'm not really enjoying myself so much going all over the place. So I had to like come forward and meet them. And I think they were kind of surprised because they were no longer holding forth with their um, uh, uh, ideas and things that they wanted to talk about. But I felt, you know, that we met in the middle, so to speak, and they, they said, I think sincerely, they really enjoyed talking, but it was up to me to kind of come forward to uh, kind of change the the typical di- uh, dynamic that we have.
0: Thank you, that sounds like, you know, that you were, a uh what I would call an active listener,
2: right? Uh, I think I'm an active listener, but uh, because I'm listening and engaging, but I might not be an active responder uh, that they can hear. (laughs) Thank you, Susan.
1: Thank
0: you. So, Roshi's feeling is if we practice even one awakening we realize the seven are there as well because they all support each other and i think you know tim's example gave gave an example of that just how we start to feel the layering of other of the other awakenings even if one comes to our mind and so he says they're all aspects of the same thing. And when one is prominent, the others are there, seemingly hidden, but they're they're still there. So it kind of behooves us to memorize might not be the right word, but to, to think about those eight, you know, repeat those eight enough times so that they're really a part of our awareness that we can access, um, not just on the Zafu, but out there in our lives, right? So I wanted to say we're at the end here. I just wanted to say thank you all so much for coming. I have really enjoyed this time together with all of you. And uh, it, I've appreciated so much um, you know, your comments. And between classes, I've really thought a lot about the comments that everyone has made and just enjoyed that so much and appreciated that part. So I wanted to say that uh, I'm happy to receive any constructive comments at all, anything that you you feel would have served the class better, any suggestions. I thought about doing the class as four, but I thought it would be too long. But, you know, just in your thinking about it, if there's anything that you felt that there wasn't enough time or whatever, anything that you want to say.